Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. What's up, everybody? My name is Indy, and the man next to me is Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting, and it is Tuesday morning, and welcome to the uh, 2023, September 2023, Indie Game Business Sessions and Meet to Match Conference, powered by Tripwire Presents, which is amazing. Thank you so much for that. Number 15 as guest. So, but yes, no, wanted to say just a quick... Thank you to everybody. Uh, before we get rolling, all of our sponsors, you know, we've got Tripwire this time around, uh, our good friends at Vicarious PR and Drope Me as well. Uh, but yeah, two days of, of conferences, two days of sessions, question and answer. Keep in mind, we're not broadcasting on the Discord for the next two days because that would just be pure and utter chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a huge thank you because I can guarantee you when Dan and I started doing these things four years ago, we did not anticipate doing 15 of them and it turning into what we have here today. Um, but I'll, you know, I appreciate it. Dan appreciates it. We, all the developers around the world who get to enjoy this stuff for free, uh, appreciate it. And with that, we're not going to eat up too much more of, of Marco's time. So uh, first Speaker this morning is my friend Marco Manoli from Slytherin, uh, discussing how to pick a genre and stick to it. And so anyone who has listened to my podcast knows that I love a good niche product, and Marco and his team are the masters of that. So, yes. <laughs> With that, Marco, the floor is yours. All righty. Well, uh, okay. let me, let me, uh, slideshow. Is that, is that, can you see this fine yet? Hopefully. Yes. Um, right. So, um, who we are and who am I, uh, first of all, uh, th- well, thanks Jay for uh, inviting us. Uh, it's, uh, it's good to see that, um, you know, somebody is uh, paying attention to the niche. We are, um, a company that started in 2000. So we've got quite a lot of years uh, to um you know of history uh, behind our back we are looking forward to the next 25 um and uh, you know what what we do uh is uh, really uh, very special and specific uh what we do is we we focus very much into a single genre which you know you can think of many different strategy games types but what we do is only strategy games and because we only do strategy games what we have uh, found out uh, over the years is that, uh, you know, the niche of the fans of strategy is a solid niche, but it's kind of small. Um, you know, if you think about 
you know, the best-selling game ever in the strategy gaming genre, uh, probably Civilization, you know, uh, overall nowadays, you know, it would sell probably around, I don't know, like seven, eight, 10 million units, you know, in all its different formats and things. Uh, but that's, that's you know, the size of the market in general is not huge. It's not like your, you know, big FPSs and action games and free-to-play shooters and, and stuff like that. So it's a very uh, interesting market because it's big enough to be, you know, mass market, I would say. You know, you know if you look at in the, you know, in the uh, video games market as a whole, uh, but it's small enough to be uh, interesting to be studied um, in a very uh, sort of, scientific way um, and and what we do here and what i'm here to um try and explain to you is you know what are the benefits of sticking to uh, a genre over time and if you're a developer uh like developing a technology and making sure that technology you know works for a number of projects over time and you can leverage on the learnings of that technology over time and if you're a publisher or if you're interested in joining a publisher uh, because, you know, you're looking for someone to partner with, look at someone who's specialized in the stuff you are doing. Um, that is a very important part of what we do is sort of give the developers we work with uh, the uh, certainty that will find a, a home for their product of full of people who understand what they're dealing with. Um, so I'm, I've been with the company for 17 years now. So um, all the stuff that uh, you're here today is um, very much about, um, you know, what I've learned personally and what my team, um, you know, has contributed to um, to uh, make us learn over over the years. Um, I will start with the number here. It's this number that um, you have heard many times. It's been uh, it's on the press usually around February, March time. Um, and this is a number that's here to scare us all. Um, there's there's uh, so many games uh, released on Steam every year that we're almost like, um, you know, scared by the sheer number of competitors we've got. And, um, you know, that's sort of the number that, you know, are is usually used to, um, uh, you know, make, give you an idea of the number of uh, different games that you're competing against and uh, and my first advice usually to you know to, to when I see these numbers when people see these numbers is just forget about them uh, this is not a competition this is not the market you live in you know imagine if you were to launch a I don't know, if, you, if you some of you guys are doing a mobile game there's like 10 times these numbers even more uh, on you know released on uh, on on mobile gaming platforms the idea that this is, you know, um, a number that you should care about is totally wrong. Um, this is a, a just a number. And uh, the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the fact, the mere fact that uh, this number is um, is big, is considered big, um, you know, I, I just, as I said, I've, I've been around for quite a long time. And I remember when uh, PlayStation 2 was around and you only had shelf space to fight for, and uh, the number of games that released on PlayStation 2 in, I don't know, in 99 or 2000 was probably around 250, 300. Um, so, and we still were fighting for shelf space and we still were having the same issues for with competitions that we have today. So as a whole, don't worry about it. 
you know, it's it's just a number, and um, you know, your your game is not going to be impacted by this number uh, only. Um, you know, this is this is the number of uh, of uh, of games that were launched on Google Play Store in 2022. Um, give you an idea of you know the competition that's out there uh, specifically for for uh, Android games. The the fact that we're looking at these numbers um, is um, is interesting. Uh, it's anecdotal. It's cool to have. It's information that we are you know interested about, but it's not something that will have to scare us a lot. Uh, for the first reason that you don't have to, you don't have to care about the number of games released in 2022 is that the vast majority of the games that were top grossing in 2022 were not games released in 2022. Um, and um, if you look at the market as a whole today, um, the the competition, the the games that are a real threat to what you are trying to achieve, are not the games that release day and date with you or a month before, or two months before, or two months after. You'd have to consider that. It's a very, it's a very important information that you'd have to uh, take into consideration, but it's not the market you're against, you're up against. The market you're up against is a mix of live service games that are fitting within the genre that you're trying to tap into. They are There's a part of these that are games that are taking away playtime for for players from other genres you know take this summer for instance this crazy summer of releases where there were like a load of, of games being released and uh, you know really uh the the only two major releases that made it massively were um uh bg3 and and starfield and because they were stealing playtime from other people, other games that maybe are not even in the same genre. Um, so this is an important thing, you know. When you look at when you look at your games and think about, you know, what is your you know direct competition? What is that you have to be up against? Look at the market as a whole and don't be scared by the sheer number of releases, but take into consideration the specific genre you're releasing in. Um, I find it that it's going to be very interesting in the next, probably in the next couple of months, to look at what Party Animals have done has done uh, as a release in uh, last week, because it's going to pan out as one of the most interesting case histories um, uh, of the industry for this year. Uh, so I'm looking forward to looking at the numbers of that game, but also uh, in, in very much in the in the in the you know considering what we're looking into, what we're talking about now. So genre, fitting into genre, fitting into time of people spent in specific genre and uh, and so on. Um, there are in total right now about 51,000 games available on Steam, you know, um, number, you know, one or more or less. The idea um, that... Um, you know, to research, to better research Steam these days, there are uh, very interesting new uh, tools that will allow you to sort of browse the different genre very, very narrowly, very, very specifically. Um, the introduction of hashtags and um, and, um, and and tags for for genre search um, this year has been uh, um, a, 
an absolute, um, you know, a great introduction of a great tool. So what happens uh, is basically that, um, you know, we don't have to look at, you know, you know, do some very, you know, deep search into specific subgenres. We now have uh, very interesting tools that allow us to, you know, track what is available and analyze, you know, subgenre in a very, very uh, specific and uh, accurate way. My um, my view on, on especially on uh, trying to assess subgenre uh, is very much linked to what we do. So think about strategy games. Strategy games are a very wide genre. They go from very tactical, you know, you know, 2v2, 3v3 units on, you know, on a battlefield, very, very specific, you know, XCOM type thing uh, that's, you know, increasing, you know, with RPG elements up to 4x, uh, city building, um, you know, management games, everything is fitting within the strategy genre. So imagine, you know, when we try and assess the potential of a game within a market, you know, we have to look at very, very narrow subgenre uh, tags and these uh, new tools allow us to do that very carefully. Uh, I was um, talking to uh, the guys earlier before we got into the stream, and one of the cool uh, one of the questions they asked me was, you know, what's their next big release? And our next big release is a game based is an RTS, um, so an action RTS based on the Terminator license. Now, if you look at RTS releases this year, um, there has been uh, quite a lot. And none of them have particularly been successful in a sense that, you know, the biggest RTS release this year was uh, Company of Heroes 3, uh, which as a game, you know, performed, you know, well, if you look at the overall, you know, final number of, of, of copies sold, but, you know, considering, you know, how big a production that is. Um, that's probably not going to be one of the most uh, lucrative uh, releases of the year. Um, and then there has been a lot of other RTSs. And overall, you can actually look at um, the uh, subgenre, the subgenre of the RTS genre, and see what worked and what uh, didn't. Uh, last year, we released the game, uh, an RTS game based on the Starship Troopers license, which you know, for our standards, was very successful. Um, and, um, you know, we sort of um, learned a lot from that. And the, 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 the element here in play is, right, what type of RTS are people playing nowadays? And I find it very interesting to see that because, you know, if you look at a lot of the press like 18, 24 months ago, it was all about RTSs are coming back. You know, having, you know, we haven't been playing RTSs for a long time. Now there's a lot of RTSs coming out and the genre will be revived and everything else. And it actually didn't happen. You know, it, it didn't really, you know, pan out as expected by a lot of analysts. What happened was that the genre itself, um, you know, had a lot more press. And it grew, it grew in terms of overall number of players. Um, so there's a lot more players that are playing RTSs nowadays, nowadays that are not the classic, you know, usual Total War uh, franchise or, you know, the you know, long-running StarCraft franchise. You know, there's a lot more RTS players, but it's not like the genre, you know, exploded and became super uh, successful as a whole. As opposed to, for instance, city building. Uh, city building had virtually no release for a long time. 
uh, then along came Cities Skylines, uh, revived the genre on its own. And a lot of people started thinking, well, you know, maybe this is a genre that we should tap into. And, uh, you know, if you look at the numbers, 2019, there were like less than 10 city builders, like proper city builders being launched in on Steam. Last year, there were more than, more than 100 city builders launched on Steam. And out of these, you can say that uh, average sales for usual city, for city builders went up dramatically. Uh, some city builders did very, very well. Some of them, without, you know, real understanding of why, uh, there's a, a good example, I would say, is Timberborn. Timberborn is a good example of a game that a solid city builder with a very, you know, peculiar thematic that really did very well. Um, on the other hand, you have a lot of these good, solid city builders where, with peculiar thematics they didn't do anything at all, or very, very small. So, um, in very small numbers. So, what what happens is that a genre goes up. You can look at average sales for that specific subgenre go up, and then within that genre, you'll have to sort of consider what's going well and what is performing less well, and then look at uh, you know if there are any learnings from that. Um, one of the cool things uh, I was mentioning about uh, Company of Heroes earlier on is, uh, you know, how do we measure success? And, you know, measuring success these days is very much like a, a moving target. Um, we know that developing games is becoming more expensive for some. We know that we can still afford to make big games or, you know, good, decent sized games with very, very small teams. And what I see that is um, an emerging trend uh, nowadays is that the chances of being successful for a AAA title are very similar to uh, the chances of being successful for an indie game with good ideas and, and good execution. The, the gap between the two, in terms of actual sales, but also in terms of, um, you know, uh, PR exposure, uh, media exposure, and so on, you know, are, you know, are getting, you know, the, the gap is getting much smaller, which means that a lot of development teams uh, have higher chances of uh, achieving success. Uh, and, and I'm coming back to what success is, but achieving success than uh, they had um, some time ago. The bubble of Indie games has, you know, sort of gone in the sense that being indie is not a trend. It's, it's not a trendy word anymore. It's a fact, and a fact that with with its own business rules, with its own set of standards, uh, with uh, with with its own its own intelligence and so on. So what makes it interesting is that being profitable, being successful. Uh, really means uh, something that is, um, you know, similar to these AAA games and to uh, indie games. It just means that whatever makes money and gets the exposure towards a community to uh, create a long-standing brand, franchise, IP, whatever you want to call it. What's happening out there is basically that uh, if you look at uh, the 
the life cycle of games, um, you, you can actually see that it's not anymore about creating you know, your in instant success and then moving to something else, but it's really to, you know, create something that it's a lasting, um, you know, uh, uh, property on uh, that leaves, if, you know, years after it's been launched. And this, you know, how to do this, how to achieve this is very much uh, following similar rules for everyone. Um, I remember back in the days, you know, if you're an indie uh, product you'd, you'd you'd go to you know an indie website uh you'd, you'd have your indie um uh, your indie games uh youtubers you'd have your indie games distribution platforms and so on now everything is merged into one uh there's still differences of course but everything is merged into one and um really there's interest towards indie as much as there is towards uh a big triple a franchises um, the only, probably the only um, area that's we're very resistant to that is the traditional media websites and, uh, you know, um, web, uh, you know, dedicated or specialist websites that are still very much working as following trends. You know, if something sells, then you'll see, you know, 10 articles about that game or, 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 or more, uh, whilst if you look at YouTube, Twitch, and, and else, you're actually going to see that there's a lot more uh, attitude towards, positive attitude towards what's new, what's interesting, what's different, and, um, you know, giving visibility to um, the um, to other, other uh, products out there. Um, in terms of numbers, um, 200, 200 titles released in 2022 made more than a million profit. Uh, and um, and uh, 2,500 titles released in 2022 uh, made more than 10,000. Um, the, the, the point here is that uh, overall, it is very hard to get to the point where you're noticed, you make, you sell the copies, you, you, know, you make a profit. Now, the, the point is that... Uh, what we're trying to achieve here is get to the point where you get the visibility. And now, you know, how can you leverage on uh, Steam's um, algorithms or Steam's rules to um, achieve that and get visibility for your product? Now, the point is that what it's all about what your product is going to be about. When I think about strategy games, the cool thing about strategy games is, a, is that you have very special vertical segments, communities, areas of the market that will be following your, um, your, you know, the overall genre. The wider market you go with your game, the, hardest that, that, the harder that is, because then your competition becomes everyone else. Um, it's not anymore about the specifics of the genre, but it's more about will people have time and will to sort of put put energies into playing my game. So if you look at the uh, number of titles that have been released in 2022 and that made you know enough money or 100 plus or 250 plus, they are all from either big uh, franchises or from very specific genre. Um, I'll come to an example uh, for one of our games later on because it's very specific and will give you a good idea of why what I'm talking about.
Um, and and the real question uh, is uh, is always, what is the audience for my game? And you really have to think about that because the audience for a game is um, is is the starting point of your of all your communication, marketing, and and so on. And the the problem you we we see a lot when seeing you know um, indie developers these days is that there's a lot of cool ideas around. There's a, a lot of stuff that we see and we think, right? Yeah, if this worked, then it would be really interesting and, and cool. But the point is that the big idea, uh, without a genre, without being positioned within an audience, a very a specific audience, will have less chances of uh, to succeed. The um, the work, the job we have in marketing is is uh, is sometimes seen as right. Take this product and make it make it sell. Uh, what I keep saying is that everyone in this industry, at all levels, development, suppliers, publishers, marketing, comms, PR, uh, content media, blah, blah, we all have one mission, is to increase the chances of success for a game. And the development area, uh, so the developers, how they contribute to this, how they can contribute to increasing the chances of success for a game well first of all is try and find out who is potentially going to play the game and have started started dialogue with these people you can do it in many different ways uh but the first thing is not actually talking to someone but it's looking at the genre and what are what are people are doing what is successful what isn't successful and um it's not a, it's not a science but it's close to a science when it comes to but the, the the niche the smaller the audience the closer you are to actually you know giving accurate numbers uh we've got like history of numbers that we are able to forecast based on the first month of sales pretty much you know the first year two years of sales month by month considering promotions and things and DLC releases and so on and so on. So the, the more specific you are, the more the more information you have about your audience, the, the closer you'll be to understanding what your game is worth if it didn't you know ex, you know explode into a huge success uh, and um, and and then make your decisions, your business decisions based on that. And I know it's boring and I know it's sometimes it sort of limits creativity. Uh, but um, it, it really depends on which stage of you know the development of your company you are. If you're a very start, you probably want to start with something that's safer, and then you know move to more experimental stuff later on when you're you know got solid uh, basis to uh, base it on, and you can start start looking at you know very you know different things. But um, you know this is what we do, and this is you know what you know Kate kept us uh, going for such a long time. You know creating a solid uh business based on um you know numbers and and best practices and um you know the have solid foundations upon um, upon which we can build more over time um the the what what i keep um you know like so what i identify as number three um uh, you know elements that are 
going to give your game uh, better chances is number one quality. Um, you know, you can't very hard. It's very hard to sell a game that's not bad, not not good, or you know, or is isn't working for the players. Uh, sometimes it happens, um, but there are very very small number of. Uh, cases when this happens and usually especially nowadays um you know players are very unforgiving so make sure that your game is quality and it has to be quality gameplay wise it has to be quality ui ux wise it has to be quality visual wise it it really has to deliver on that promise of i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a good game the number two uh, element is the target audience um, the game has to be good for a target audience. Uh, again, give you an example very open here. We're going to launch a game um, based on the Stargate license uh, later this year. And um, it's, it's an RTT, um, uh, very much like Commandos or Desperados type, type of game. Um, and um, it's usually a genre of games where you see very complex mechanics and uh, it's not easy to jump into. But on the other hand, we're looking at selling this game to Stargate people. So what we try to do, I don't know if it's going to work, but you know, you'll, you'll be our judges in this case. But um, what we're trying to do is merge a very large audience of fans of Stargate, very large, um, big, um, like core fans of the property with uh, a game that's solid, but not too deep, not not the thing that the fans of that genre would play um, and and be super happy about because we have to look at you know the other group of people. So merging these two target audiences, trying to find a sweet spot, uh, to telling a story that Stargate, you know, uh, resounding in the Stargate universe, but also uh, approaching a genre that's very well tested in the market. Um, so. I get this question uh, asked often, is it, are you going to sell this game to hardcore games of the RTD genre or to the very large mixed audience of Stargate? Uh, well, my answer is I'm probably going to lean towards the Stargate audience. That's because it's a Stargate game and I want to please these guys. Uh, but I, I am aware that there will be a lot of people in the you know segment number two that are going to sort of try and find their you know, uh, their game in the Stargate game. And, uh, you know, hopefully they're going to find it and, and, and they're still going to find these, you know, mechanics they like. Sign up today for the Indie Game Business Newsletter. It's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams. We've got discounts on all Indie Game Business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. There are exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. PowellGroupConsulting.com slash publisher dash list. And number three is cost control. Um, that's really about, you know, 
about how my game is going to be successful and how I can measure success and how it's going to be profitable. Um, making sure your cost is, costs are take, kept under control is super important. My um, mantra on this is when you look at analyzing the successful games in a genre, uh, do that, great stuff, but also look at the very non-successful games in the genre. Uh, and it's hard to do that. It's much harder. I mean, for every, you know, hey, I've got a new game. It's made in the, you know, it's it's like StarCraft, but with zombies. Um, and uh, and uh, look at what StarCraft has done. It's done, you know, 100 million units. So I'm going to do at least, you know, 10% of that. And, um, and that's in all pitch documents. Like every pitch document is a bit of that. It's like this game is a mix of Diablo meets... Uh, Red Dead Redemption. So look at that, you know, huge market potential, you know, going to sell 3 million units. Uh, then the problem is that for every Diablo, there's a hundred of Diablo clones or Diablo's, Diablo-like games that didn't make a penny. So you have to sort of evaluate both of these. And, uh, and of course, in the pitch document, you put some, you know, in the forefront, you put the, the big successful games, but think about when making a game, think about you know, the case when this game is not going to be successful or as successful as you as you wish. Um, this will help you a lot into understanding more about, you know, the balance between, I don't know, do I want to spend, you know, 20% of my development budget in voiceovers or, or in music or uh, will I want to spend, um, you know, I don't, I don't know, uh, to write a game with 100,000 words, which is going to make, be very expensive to localize. That's all very important to take into, into account, especially when you look at target audience. So for instance, for us, if you look at an RPG, for instance, you know these people are going to be about the story, the dialogues. Uh, so it's going to be by voiceovers. It's going to be about, you know, uh, you know, localization and, you know, involvement and, you know, getting the people to like a specific part of the game. So yes, you'll have to invest in that. If you're looking at a tactical game, and uh, somebody comes up and says, I want a big narrative layer to it. Well, maybe, but not, you know, not as big as you would expect because the core of the game is not about the dialogues and, and the interactions and such. And there's a lot of different levels of these. Uh, you know, you try to make your game better, but you lose focus on what your audience will want for that specific game. Uh, so make a lot, of, pay a lot of attention to that. Make sure that your your cost, your control, your costs are under control, and make sure that you always have in mind. Okay, this is my target audience. Will they want that? Well, yes, no, and so on. Um, so again, you know, your core focus has to be your target, your audience, whoever's going to play this game, and you know, keep the dialogue open with these guys. Do betas, do present screenshots, present gameplay, and and do try and do that as much as you can. Um, of course, there's many other things that are, you know, um, part of the success of a game. Again, you know, each one of these, if done well, will contribute to increasing the potential of your game. Um, and it's, it's marketing, it's positioning, it's platform, it's competition and business model and, and many other things. But you could, you could go on forever, to be honest, in here. Uh, the idea we have, uh, we're trying to take forwards is uh, provided that... Uh, you've got your target fixed and your quality bar high and your control and your cost under control. Everything else is a consequence of that. So your business model is massively influenced by your target audience. You know, free-to-play strategy, turn-based strategy games, 
on PC. There's no history for that, so why would I want to sort of try and do that? Um, uh, competition, you know, is there something similar releasing in the next in a window, like very similar releasing in the same um, window uh, of release we are doing? You know, take that in, into consideration. Uh, everything else, it's like, but if you've got like an idea, a fixed idea of these three elements, you're kind of a bit uh, ahead of the curve into uh, really presenting a game that increases the chances of uh, its uh, success. Uh, a bit of uh, a bit of talk here about followers, wish lists, and 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 some other numbers, some other numbers. Um, um, you're 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 going to read a lot of literature about uh, these things, so please do that. Uh, it's a it's a very informative set of uh, threads, but don't get dragged into things like um, if I achieve eight thousand wish lists, I will sell X Y Z. That's not the case, or that's not the case anymore. I would say there was a lot more reliability into wish lists up until maybe a, a couple of years ago. Now it's like very much hit and miss uh, with wish lists. Uh, followers are much more important. Um, so if I had to sort of pinpoint a number that is uh, to be taken under close control is followers. Followers will give you a good idea of the number of units you are going to sell of your game. Uh, not day one, but you know, over time you'll see that uh, the number of games, copies you sell and the number of followers are, um, you know, sort of comparable. There's a lot of, you know, um, multipliers that will make you, you know, feel like there is more of a rule there. Wish lists are very much hit and miss. You'll see, we've seen it in the recent days for a lot of games. Um, you know, a lot of the top wishlisted games on Steam, uh, you know, failed to achieve these numbers. I'm not saying they were not successful, but, you know, they, they didn't achieve the numbers that they were expected to achieve. Um, some of the very low wishlisters, you know, started very well. Um, so it's um, it's very much, it's, it's less of a, uh, you know, a, a rule rate these days. What is important wish list, of course, is that the more wish lists you have, the higher chances you have at release to notify people about the release and also to be a part of the recent releases on Steam and get more visibility on day one. That's for sure. That's uh, that's a rule that applies always. Um, what I find uh, these, these days very important, on top of what I said about followers, a good idea of how many people are going to buy your game uh, on, on, um, on Steam, is uh, people that are active and um, uh, follow your social media. Um, I used to work in an environment where you, know, you would try and achieve the maximum level of Facebook followers, um, and then, you know, because that was really the only thing that would sort of give you uh, a way to remarket the game, and and so you would you had like paid followers and paid you know paid media to to increase the number of followers and so on. Nowadays, with Discord and with many other channels like YouTube, Twitch, and so on, you you have this you know without trying to push it too much, as in you know give it more of an organic growth. You'll really have an idea of how much how many people are interested in your game. Not, not as a, an absolute number. So you'll have you know, to, you know, if you've got like a thousand people on Discord, then you'll probably have many more people are interested in the game. But you really have 
uh, a lot of a, a good indicator from from Discord of what the um, potential success of the game is. Uh, YouTube v Twitch. This is another important um, number analysis um, uh, uh, part. I would say that uh, the, the the important thing about YouTube versus Twitch is that uh, these days Twitch is really for awareness only or major major driver for awareness very um, low number of people at least in our genre within our communities and within our um you know uh, sort of area of the market very few people on twitch actually end up make taking action um whilst youtube converts massively better than twitch so if you look at what these two can do for you uh, you know, Twitch is about frequency. It's about getting, being there all the time and making sure that people are, are seeing your game over and over again. Awareness, awareness, awareness. YouTube is all about, you know, the bottom part, the fallen funnel. So more like conversions and actions towards the game, so clicking on stuff and buying the game, wishlisting and following and, and, and so on. So they're really used for different um, and different um, uh goals um and if you look into you know the the other uh, social media um tiktok is um one thing our i would recommend strongly for again for awareness but also uh use it not as a company use tiktok creators to do videos or upload videos you know and do like media campaigns with it but but not don't rely on it to just organically drive traffic because that's not going to happen um this is a case i wanted to introduce to you uh, very quickly uh towards the end of my um talk uh rule the waste 3 is a game that we released um uh this uh, this year uh, what you see in the back there is an actual screen of screenshot of the game uh there's there's quite a lot of interesting comments on on steam saying um this game looks like a an Excel spreadsheet, which in fact, you know, it, it, it's almost like pretty clear that it is, you know, based on a database and, and it's, it's, um, it's a game that's about uh, shipbuilding and um, ship construction across the years. You build your fleet, you put it, you send it to battle and, um, and uh, you've got, uh, you know, a, a, an incredible amount of research uh, in the in this game. It's been developed by um, two guys uh, over you know quite a long stretch of time. Um, so it's taken quite some time to build it. Uh, but if you're looking at a game that has been successful for what it is, uh, profitable, um, you know, pleased an audience, 92% positive reviews. Um, created itself a, a little um, extra niche that we can leverage on for future releases, DLCs, you know, grow the franchise over time and so on. Uh, made someone, made a lot of people play the game constantly. Uh, you know, if you look at SteamDB, you can see the trends are, you know, they're incredibly stable. The numbers of people are playing the game every day. And uh, it's not, this is not a game that you would, sort of sign if you will be a publisher that has no idea what it is about but um it's a very good example of hey i've got a game that's super niche that there's nothing niche than this but you know if we make sure that we don't blow our budgets 
if we make sure that we follow you know the rules of asking the players what they think about it uh beta test the game strong you know over and over and over again make sure that we release a game that's super polished that has no you know bugs at all and so on please the audience this game is keeps selling uh thanks to word of mouth and i'm pretty sure that there's quite well i'm, I'm actually sure because i know but there's there's a lot of people actually bought the game never played it yet uh, because it's a daunting experience but it's created a case and um and there's a similar case of a game released a couple of years ago called shadow empire again um developed by two guys uh very in-depth forex war game but again you know very high reviews very high reviews from media as well you know big reviews from and it really was trying to address a very specific need of the market you know there was nothing like that it's almost almost like a kind of a dwarf fortress but uh as with a 4x layer and 2d war game style um and there's a lot of games like this there's a lot of opportunities like this if you really are looking at the audience from a different different perspective and I urge you to think about it when you think about your games and trying to understand what, especially for small teams, look at all the opportunities, look at your passions, look at your interests and making making games about these things. It's much more interesting than trying to go super generic and, generic and, send, and sell millions of copies, at least for our, from our perspective, because that's how we built the company over time. And, um, you know, and we welcome uh the fact that there's more companies that are trying to you know mimic what we're doing uh these days um and 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 we hope there's going to be more um i think i stayed within my 45 minutes uh so i'll i'll sort of open the um uh the table for questions if there's any you you did fantastic that was awesome and I that that game doesn't look like a spreadsheet. That game is a spreadsheet. <laughs> yes. um, that's that's fantastic. All right. So our first question comes from Sam on LinkedIn. Does this mean, relatively speaking, indies are now more profitable than AAAs if there's a diminishing gap in what becomes successful? Ah, uh, well, I guess Sam, that it is partially true. It's it's the fact that um, if you if you invest millions 200 million dollars to make a big triple a game uh your you know chances of losing 150 million dollars is um you know making your uh your risk go like skyrocket compared to the past um and um and uh, indie business is made is made by smaller budget games that have you know less you know uh aspirations to make the millions and um i think that I, there's, I don't think there's a study about it, but I'd be interested to see how much AAA uh, business is losing in terms of profit over time and how much the uh, indie games are doing. Uh, and I think that I probably see that it's balancing out, at, terms in, in ter at least in terms of percentages. And it carries over into the follow-up question of, you know, what has changed to enable that gap closing between AAA and indies? And is there anything in addition to driving awareness that's that's moving that change? I think players have changed a lot. I think that uh, players are getting more used to play uh, games that are indie as if they were playing games 
that um, you know they're they're triple A's. Uh, my my view is that mobile games have contributed to that, um, into you know making people um, confronted with games that are not necessarily you know the best looking or the most advanced technologically, um, but uh, fun and and cool to play. And you know I think that that's a big contribution to uh, this perception of. Um, anything among us can be as successful as uh, The Witcher, and um, and uh, you know Valheim can be as successful as um, you tell me, uh, and it's and it's all like that, right? There's a game that was released now a long time ago, um, and uh, a game called Raft. I don't know if you're familiar with it, mm -hmm. but it's like a good example of a game that was just out of nowhere uh, became super super successful and nobody was you know even imagining this was going to be a big big success it just hit sort of the audience right in you know in the face and uh, you know and people like right you know these games are all contributing to closing that gap it's like anything can be successful nowadays uh, provided it hits that you know magical spot so Question from Smokeback on YouTube: When introducing or revealing your game, is it better to have a website or Steam page, or is a Steam page enough? Uh, well, nowadays, if you're a small studio, then just use the Steam page. Steam Steam has now a lot of technical um, tools to help you track traffic and uh, and make sure that you do uh, a lot of research on what your traffic is doing. Um, especially with UTM links, you can uh, really, you know, understand, you know, how your campaign is doing, where your traffic is coming from, um, and how your traffic is behaving, and so on. And also the fact that uh, on Steam everything is there, so you don't have to have people land on a on a on a product page and then or a website and then go to your Steam page to buy the game or follow the game or wishlist the game. If your game is on PC only and you don't have multiple platforms, just use Steam. It's much much better all right and our next one what are your top three social media platforms to promote a game uh where we're we're kind of a strange type of company because uh you know our audience is male 30 35 plus so it's not like your average gamer but for us i would say that number one nowadays is uh youtube uh then twitch and uh if you consider discord a social media platform that's number three uh if it's if Discord is not considered a social media platform, I would say that um, it is unfortunately, I'd say unfortunately, still Facebook. Um, well, that actually leads straight into the next question from Drace on YouTube. How do I build a community on Discord from scratch? How do I convince people to join a Discord server that was freshly made with like two people on it? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, I think that uh, luckily um, Discord is very much linked to um in community interests. So um, what we're doing is we're using Reddit a lot uh, to spread the word about a Discord into Reddit groups that does work very, very well. Um, naturally now people are starting to look for a Discord page if they like a game. Uh, that's definitely one thing that um, sort of increases your chances of uh, putting people on the Discord and then use your Discord users to drag people into your Discord, uh, Discord group because they are the best ambassadors for 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 the channel. That's for sure. Uh, Drace, and I'll add in that I know I've told this story many, many, many times. But when we first started indie game business, you know, four or five years ago, I think it was five years ago, uh, 
Dan Indy came to me and he said, okay, you've got a Twitch page. Now you need a Discord server. And I'm like, there's like eight people watching us on Twitch. Why in the do we need a Discord server? Today, that Discord server is over 6,000 people. Um, which, yeah. you know, in the spoke of a game, eh. But in the sense of, you know, what we do here for developers and all that sort of stuff, it's quite frankly one of my proudest, you know, gifts to this industry of, of my entire career. So just start. You have to yeah, start no, somewhere. And, and honestly, I think that, uh, you know, if you build it, yeah, if you build it, they right. will come. Yeah. Marco, we're old. A lot of our audience doesn't know what that movie comes from. It's, a, that, it's okay. It's okay. It's I mean, okay. you understood it. I'm fine. <laughs> All right. From ET won't phone home. God, I love YouTube names. How to increase the followers on Steam? Is it like wish list, but you ask them to click on follow in your call for, to action? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's the case. We're shifting towards follow the game uh, rather than wish list the game. There's a lot of cool um you know, gifts you can add to your product page, you know, with like little, you know, actions, uh, you know, where to click and so on. Uh, and that does work quite well. Um, but uh, we're actively asking the people to don't wish list follow, uh, which is much better if you're really interested in the game, because that's much better for us. Um, it's also much better for uh, over time. Um, you know, followers get a DM, followers get you know, much bigger um, presence of your updates. And because we're a company that's strongly based on main game plus DLCs over time, the more we get, the more followers we get, the better exposure we get every time we launch a DLC. And I can say you are the first person on the podcast or the conference ever to start pushing followers over wish list. I learned something today, so that's always a good thing. Next one up, Smokeback. When pushing for game funding where a Kickstarter is not available or supported, is it okay to switch to look for a publisher or is there another recommendation? Uh, yeah, well, uh, Smokeback, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of Kickstarters for, for video games. Uh, I've never been or for a long time. I've, I've seen Kickstarters um, being very successful and the vast majority of Kickstarters being a public uh a, a public um witness of something that fails and it's never good you know hey i started kickstarter it failed can I, you know do i wish to do do i find a publisher um i think that i would sort of start with um you know looking for publishers it's always the best thing to do uh, unfortunately publisher nowadays really are work looking for a, uh, a a build to play or a video of, of the game before they start evaluating. But, um, you know, the best way to find, secure fundings nowadays is still trying to find a publisher. Um, Kickstarters are good if you have a something that's resounding into the Kickstarter community. Um, so RPGs, um, some are strat type of strategy games, um, there are some genres that are, you know, better chances on, on Kickstarter, but usually nowadays it's much... Kickstarting a game properly is a job. It's like, it's a huge job. And if you're, if you've got somebody to help you, then fine. Otherwise, really put your resources into, you know, creating a good pitch, work on the game and pitch it to publishers because you've, your chances of success, you've got a good, a good proposition are much higher. All right, so that's interesting because I usually see niche titles doing better on Kickstarter than a 
lot of mass market things because of probably the same factors that go into the game. So that's interesting that y'all are. I think that, um, you know, there's, there's so many different ways of funding games these days. There's early access, there's Kickstarter, there's, there's, there's many other, you know, um, you know, little ways of attracting funds, um, I guess that, um, because of these, all of these things are marketing exercises. So Kickstarter is a marketing exercise, early access is a marketing exercise, and so on. If you have uh, the capacity uh, in the you know development studio to actually do these things properly, have a marketing person, have a PR person, have resources to hire someone to do it, then I suggest you you know that's a good way to to try and secure funding. The problem is that you'd really have that know-how. You know, it's like designers, programmers, artists, and they don't have the marketing know-how, so some of the stuff can be a lot hit or miss. So next up from Sam on LinkedIn, given the focus of this talk on the importance of identifying a niche and genre, where does this leave mashup games, things like Destra, for example? Is this a riskier strategy? Uh, mashup games are, are very risky. Yes, they are. Uh, trying to mix genres, trying to make sure that you attract to a, very, uh, to a, a wider audience by mixing things. Um, usually is uh, much riskier than anything else uh, unless you come up with a new genre by mixing two genres uh, that people like um, usually the tendency is to try and satisfy both audiences and the idea is that by doing that you know you sort of you take the best of both audiences and usually what you do instead of doing that instead of taking the whole and you know that the whole audience is together you just take the little narrow part in the middle and you have to satisfy them so you're by trying to enlarge your audience, you're making it smaller. Um, so they, it's definitely a riskier strategy. Yes. From YouTube as well. At what point in development should you start bringing people into a discord? Is it possible to get people in too soon? Uh, I don't think so. If you've got stuff to say, um, it's, um, it's the difference between um, Discord and a Steam page or anything that's public facing uh, that's, you know, that's out, out there to uh, it's, it's that usually people uh, you, you can treat your Discord community or your Discord, um, you know, people as your core fans that will help you grow the game over time. So if you involve them, if they're part of your development process, make them part of that. I think they'll be useful from the very, very start. Um, whilst on Steam, people fire and forget, you know, they, they follow the wish list. And then maybe if, if your game releases like three years later, then people are forgotten about it. But if on Discord, I think if you, if you find stuff to say, then there's never too soon. All right. We got time for two more quick ones. Do you have any book recommendations for marketing? Oh my goodness. No, I don't. Um, I read a lot of stuff, but never, you know, never stuff that's uh, marketing related. I find, uh, and that's not going to be very popular, but I, I find uh, marketing books to be very generic and not very, um, uh, you know, uh, practical, uh, I would say. And uh, because our industry is moving so fast, you know, whatever I was doing 10 years ago is not valid anymore. I keep, I need to keep learning from things. Uh, I can suggest a lot of different um, uh, websites and places to go and, and browse numbers and best practices and so on. That's for sure. Uh, but uh, my best source of information is downloading numbers, downloading best practices and elaborating on it and, and on them and trying to assess what I'm doing, um, you know, on a very practical, in a very practical way. And Ben, if you go on, you're on YouTube. So if you go to our web, our YouTube page, we have an entire playlist 
of marketing and PR talks that we've had over the last four or five years. So it's not a book, but there's a lot of resources yeah. there for yeah. you. Um, all right, last one real quickly. How polished does a build need to be if you are seeking funding to build the experience? Uh, in my experience, not a lot. Uh, in my experience, if you got, uh, if you're talking to publishers with experience, they will, they will see the game not for what you send them, but for what the potential of the game is. Um, so I don't think it's got to be a demo or a vertical slice necessarily. Uh, if you've got a cool concept, something that you think might work within a specific genre, I don't think you need to be very polished. Uh, of course, the, pol the most more polished, the better. But I, I, I have seen. Uh, my colleagues at in the biz dev department department look at games that were like pretty awful, and I was like, you know, how can you see this is good? And and they were actually right in the end. So I, I can say that if you know if you the people who are going to play the game know what they're talking about, not very polished. Marco, thank you so much. This was awesome talk. Um, Marco is going to be running some errands real quick, but he's going to be back in a little bit. So if you've got additional questions, I just saw one come in uh, on YouTube, drop them in the Discord. We've got a special section of the Discord this week. Uh, it's discord.gg slash indie game business. And all of our speakers will be around answering questions in there as well. Margo, thank you so much. We're going to be back in about two minutes with our next session. So stick around. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.